The following is a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society. Howdy there, and welcome to Grace in Focus from the Grace Evangelical Society. We are so glad that you've joined us today as we continue a discussion that we started yesterday about what must I do to be saved. Bob Wilkin and Ken Yates will be our discussion leaders today, and that will happen in just a moment. First, I want to tell you about our website and invite you there. Our website is faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. You're going to find a lot of great resources there. Many of them are free. Lots of articles, books, videos, blogs. This podcast can be found there. And a free subscription to our magazine called Grace in Focus that can come to you in the mail if you live in the lower 48. But you can also read it for free online. And one of the things that we're most proud of is our national conference 2023 coming up in May. That's May the 22nd through the 25th. And we want to invite you to be there. If it's your first time, you don't have to pay a registration fee. It's a great time of fellowship and learning and eating and recreation. And it's held at a Christian camp, a beautiful Christian camp right on the lake there in Denton, Texas, close to our headquarters. And if you come, you will be glad that you did. So find out all the details on our website, faithalone.org. All right, now it's time for today's discussion. Here are Ken and Bob. All right, we got part two from Michael. Michael was the guy who uh, yesterday said if he talks to 10 people about what someone must do to be saved, he comes up with 10 different answers. And by the way, it sounds like Michael may not be born again. I mean, maybe he is, but it sounds like he's saying he really doesn't know what he needs to do to be born again. When we talked about that yesterday about the deity of Christ, he makes a good point. If you ask 20 evangelists, right. what do I have to believe about the deity of Christ or be saved? You're going to get 20 different answers. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I, a friend of mine was talking to a fellow friend who's a pastor and a seminary graduate, and the person was arguing online that you have to believe in the deity of Christ to be saved. So he got in touch with his friend and he said, okay, tell me precisely what a person needs to believe about the deity of Christ to be saved. And he said, I'm not going there. He said, what do you mean? He says, I'm not saying that you have to believe a certain confession about the deity of Christ. What I'm saying is you have to believe in the deity of Christ. So my friend was like, yeah, but what does that mean? And he said, well, someone has to believe in the deity of Christ. And so then he's like, yes, but what does that mean? For example, do they have to believe in the Trinity? Do they have to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh? Do they have to believe in the eternality of Jesus? Could Jesus have sinned? Right. Well, do they have to believe he didn't sin? There are some people who believe he did sin. Do they have to believe he couldn't sin? Right? I didn't get into this yesterday, but the same seminary friend that I was talking with about Jesus and the cross, and he was saying Jesus didn't really want to go to the cross in his humanity, he also told me Jesus could have sinned, and we got lucky. There you go. And this is a Dallas Seminary graduate, and he's telling me Jesus could have sinned. And why? Because he believes, and there's a lot of people that believe this way, if Jesus couldn't have sinned, then there was no real temptation. And see, that's an interesting thing, because the way I define the deity of Christ is I would say he couldn't sin because God cannot sin. Right. There's a difference right there. So this question that's being asked, it's a valid question. You know, if I have to believe on this, what do I have to believe? Well, that's why when my friend was talking to this pastor, the pastor was like, I'm not going into the details. I'm just saying they have to believe in the deity of Christ. But when you get right down to it, what does that mean? 
Michael has a follow-up to that. He also says, do I need to believe in the Trinity in order to be born again? Which is related to the first part of it, do right. I have to believe in the deity of Christ. But right. let's say I believe there are people called modalists. What, what is modalism? Modalism is there's one God, but he manifests himself in three different modes. For God okay. the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're not separate. They're the same. Okay, so when Jesus says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, who's he talking to? Well, a modalist would say he's talking to himself. Right? right? Because Jesus is the Father. In other words, these are just three different names for God. Right. He's Jesus. He's the Holy Spirit. He's God the Father. And so Jesus was sent by himself. When he says the Father sent me, that means he sent himself. Can a modalist be born again? They don't believe in the Trinity. But let's say a modalist believes that God became a man lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again. And he said, he who believes in me has everlasting life, and I'm convinced that's true. And I know by faith in Jesus, I have everlasting life, and I'm never going to perish. Would I be born again, or do I have to believe in the Trinity? I am extremely confident that a person who believed that would be born again. Exactly. But there are those who would say, oh, no, if you're a modalist, you can't be born again, which I find... Just amazing. Right. And by the way, if you think about all the things we're talking about, do I have to believe in the virgin birth? If the answer is yes, that probably eliminates all children from being born again, wouldn't it? Do children even know what a virgin birth is? I don't think so. Right. Also, do I have to believe in the deity of Christ? Do children understand? The, I mean, I don't. we argued yesterday that adults don't understand the deity of Christ. I don't think children do. How about the Trinity? I don't think you and I understand what the Trinity is. I mean, I know I don't. All I know is what Scripture says. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're three different persons, but they're one being called God. Can you grasp that? I don't grasp that. It's kind of like, do you know an aspen is a tree, but thousands of aspen are one organism? No, and yeah, Aspen true. is also a ski slope, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I see. I don't know if you can be saved if you think Aspen is a, is a ski slope. Someplace in Colorado. It is. I've been there, yeah. But my point is, we don't really understand the Trinity. I heard an ETS, Evangelical Theological Society speaker, and he was talking about the hypostatic union. What's the hypostatic union, Ken? The hypostatic union is there's a union of the two natures in one person forever. And that person is Christ, right. the Lord Jesus Christ. He's forever been both God and man, right? He didn't become the God-man when he was born in the manger. He appeared as a man many times in the Old Testament, right? Do you have to believe that the fourth man in the fiery furnace was Jesus to be born again? Do you have to believe that it was Jesus that gave Moses the Ten Commandments? The angel of the Lord. Do you have to believe the angel of the Lord is Jesus, the pre-incarnate Lord? Do you have to believe that the one who walked in the garden in the cool of the day, Genesis 3-8, was Jesus? Or one of the men who appeared to Abraham? Yeah. So do you have to believe in the Trinity in order to be born again? No. Now, does it help? Sure. It helps the more we believe in Scripture, the more we grasp the fact it takes a tremendous amount of faith not to believe in Jesus for everlasting life, right? right. The creation declares the glory of the Lord, Psalm 19.1, right? The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, or Paul says in Romans, Romans 1, 1 we you. are without excuse. If everything is drawing us toward Christ, the creation and all of the things we see in life 
are drawing us to Christ and the Holy Spirit is drawing us to Christ, John 16, 7 to 11, well, then we have to be pretty rebellious not to come to faith. In fact, we're going to get to one of his other questions, which ties right in. Do we have to believe the answers in Genesis version of creation to be born again? I sure hope not, because when I came to faith, I didn't even know anything about answers in Genesis. Right. It's called YEC, Young Earth Creationism. Right. So do we have to believe that the earth is around 6,200 years old to be born again? No. Do we have to believe Genesis 6 through 9, Noah's flood, that that was a worldwide flood in order to be born again? No. Do we have to believe that Jonah was actually swallowed by the fish, you know, versus a parable? No. Or that Job was a real person. I have friends who believe in Jesus Christ for everlasting life. They know they have everlasting life and they believe Jonah was a parable. Which to me is an impossible position because Jesus tied his own resurrection to the historicity of Jonah. As Jonah was three days in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days in the belly of the earth. If Jonah wasn't three days in the belly of the great fish, then Jesus wasn't three days in the belly of the earth. Well, the same thing could be said about Adam and Eve. There are people who are believers who do not believe that Adam and Eve were two historical figures. Oh, yeah. I mean, at our seminary, the one we graduated from, Dallas Seminary, now the prevailing view, as I gather, is that Genesis 1 through 3 is called poetic history. Right. And that some of those features in Genesis 1 through 3 are literal, and many of them are figurative. They're poetic. And what they will say, not just Dallas Seminary, but all the leading conservative seminaries pretty much, is that Genesis 1 through 3 tells us that God created, not how How God God created, right? And, And obviously, a person today who grows up in the West, they are almost certainly going to believe in evolution. Right. And they hear John 3.16, and they believe it. Before they can believe, do we have to straighten them out on evolution? Say, hey, wait a second. Before you believe, you need to understand that, you know, you did not evolve from a spider or or, or a monkey or a horse. I would say many people who come to faith today believe in evolution. With Michael's question, here's what I'm going to say. Tie it all in a bow. Okay, here's the bow, Michael. (laughs) It's not complicated. Theologians make it complicated. Pastors make it complicated. Evangelists make it complicated. Missionaries make it complicated. Here it is. What must I do to be saved? Acts 16.30. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Acts 16.31. He who believes in him has eternal life. John 6.47. Very simple. Or John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but has everlasting life. It is so simple, a child can believe it. You don't have to have a theological degree to get it. In fact, probably the more higher theological education you have, the more likely you are to believe in work salvation or lordship salvation and to reject the free gift of everlasting life because you think that's easy believism, that's cheap grace, and we have talks about those things as well. So, Michael, great question, but the truth is, it's simple. It is so easy. And if you lack assurance of everlasting life, go to the Gospel of John, read it prayerfully, and say, Lord, show me. Is it just a matter of believing in Jesus Christ for everlasting life that can't be lost? And remember, Michael, keep Keep grace in focus. Zane Hodges' excellent commentary on Romans 
entitled Romans Deliverance from Wrath, is available right now on our website, faithalone.org. Get half price through February 28, 2023, when you use the code word ROMANS. That's faithalone.org. Our goal at the Grace Evangelical Society is to teach Scripture clearly and without confusion. One of the best tools for that clarity, we believe, is our website. It's faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. On our site, we have all kinds of materials that are designed to help you mature and grow in your faith and your understanding of Scripture. Please come visit us at faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. You'll be glad you did. God loves a cheerful giver, and that's why we think our financial partners are some of the happiest people in the world. If you would like to learn how to become a financial partner with Grace and Focus, we would very much appreciate it. Learn more at faithalone.org. It's really exciting to hear from our listeners. So if you've got a question, comment, or feedback, I hope you'll reach out to us. Best way to do that is through email. Here is our email address. It's radio at faithalone.org. That's radio at faithalone.org. On the next Grace in Focus, we begin a short exegetical study of the Old Testament minor prophet, Joel. David Renfro will be here to help us, and we'd love it if you're here too. Join us for the next Grace in Focus. This is the Grace Evangelical Society. Until next time, let's keep grace in focus. The preceding has been a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society.